Matthew chapter 14. It's a very familiar scripture. Most of you will know it. We're going to start in verse 22. It says this, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Okay, so we know the context of the story is just right before this is when Jesus fed the 5,000. Okay, so this guy, Jesus is in his miracle, the miracle portion of his ministry, and he's just doing amazing thing after amazing thing after amazing thing. Okay, it's like just feeds the 5,000 and now, you know, he's going to get ready to walk on water. But this is where we are right now. So Jesus just gets done, and the people are just swarming him, right? I mean, if you saw what had just happened, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, if I took out, you know, the communion wafer, and then all of you, like, I handed it to you, and it was like, oh, we got this amazing turkey dinner, right? You'd just want to be chilling with it because you're like, this guy did an amazing miracle, okay? And so this is what was happening to Jesus. He was getting swarmed. Okay, people wanted to know. They were sure they wanted to talk to him. They wanted to see him. And so it says this: that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, as he sent the multitude away. Okay, he was closing the service. He's like, "Yo, peeps, I'm done. Get out of here." Probably did a great service. You go to the greatest church in the galaxy, right? No. <laughs> and so he sent the disciples away, um, and then he's he's you know closing his service. And he said, when he went and, and he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came and he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So basically what's happening, Jesus goes up onto the mountain, you know, he's praying, the disciples have already left on the boat, and they're, you know, in the midst of a storm. Jesus comes down, walks up to the water, and sees that they're, they're all in the storm. And uh, now in the fourth watch of the night, which means it was the middle of the night, could have been like about 3 a.m., Jesus, could you imagine that? Jesus just gets finished preaching all day long. And he's now, he's up for the rest of the day just praying. It could be like 3 or 4 a.m. right now, right? That's what the fourth watch is. So Jesus is, he's the man. We just want to be like you, Jesus. Um, and, uh, and Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, I love how this is just so minimal, right? It's like Jesus just went walking to them on the sea, right? As if it was like, an, you know, he just went walking down the street, right? So we know that, you know, Matthew, as he's writing this, we know that Matthew's becoming very familiar with the fact that Jesus does amazing things, okay? Our life is supposed to look like that right? We, we, it shouldn't be like we're hoping for God to do one miracle, right? But it should become so common to us that, you know, I have to get to Buffalo, and so I just walk across the water, and you see me, and you're like, oh, there's Alex walking on the sea, right? And you just pass by because you're so aware of the fact that I'm just doing these rocking awesome miracles all the time, okay? So that's how we're supposed to. And so Peter writes it, he's walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, is it a ghost? And they cried out in fear. That would freak me out too. Um, verse 27 says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered to him saying, Lord, if it is you command me to come to you on the water. See, Peter, you were going to get to him today. He knew he was awesome. He gets such a bad rap, I think in the Bible, because he really does a lot of like dumb things. But I think the reason he does dumb things is because he's willing to step out and do awesome things, right? We're going to get there. Um, and so Jesus said, come right? Totally not nervous. Jesus said, come. Um, and when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Amazing. But when he saw that the, winds, the, the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his ham, his ham, his piece of ham that he had. He stretched out his hand and caught him and said, oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? And when, he, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. When those who were in the boat came, and then those who were in the boat came worshiping him, saying, you truly are the son of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, you said that it would be the light unto our feet and the guide to our path. 
Lord, we know that you said that you make crooked places straight in us, that you have a way of turning even the worst of situations around for our good. And so we just extend our hands this morning and we receive all the grace that's necessary to succeed in the day that we live today. God, we know that your desire is not just to preach pretty words to our ears, but your desire is is to release to us truth and revelation that will change the way we look at our world and the way that we live our life. And so we receive that anointing. I ask that you'd speak through my mouth and think through my mind. God, that every word that's spoken just breaks chains, that it releases us, Lord, into our destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I love thinking about um, amazing people who've lived. Right, it's one of the things I love to do. Uh, I love history. I wish I would have loved history more in school. I think I failed history in school. It's funny how the older that you get, the more you realize, like, I really should have paid attention in school because it's actually awesome, right? Um, and so now I love history. I love reading about historic things. Uh, and one of the things that I love reading about is past revivals, right? And so I, you know, I know a lot about them. I read a lot about them. They're super amazing to me. Um, and so I love reading about amazing men and women who've done great things. You know, not just people in the Bible, but I love, you know, David. I love reading about Peter and James and John, right? I love reading about Charles Finney and Smith Wigglesworth. I love reading about Catherine Kuhlman and Benny Hinn and these people's lives who have broke the mold from what people have said Christianity is supposed to be and really pushed the limit to step into the place where the miraculous became common in their life, right? I love people like that. I, I want to emulate my life after them because when I see them, I see myself and the way that God has called me to live, right? You were never meant to live a normal day ever in your life. Every single day in your life is designed, God designed to be supernatural. That every situation and circumstance, everything that you come into, every time that you ask the Lord something, his answer to you always resides in the supernatural. And that's where we're supposed to live. That's why the scripture says that we're supposed to, that when people would look at us, they would say that we're peculiar people. Why? Because we dress funny? No, I mean, I think I dress pretty normal, right? Is it because we look funny, right? It's none of those things. It's because the miraculous, the supernatural should be so common in our life that people look at us and say that person, it's undeniable that that person is different. It's undeniable. Like, I may want to say that it's this or it's that, but I can't deny the fact that something different is happening in their life. It's like when I think about when Jesus got back into the boat, he didn't have to do what I do sometimes, tell you to jump for joy, right? He didn't have to do that. But when people witnessed the miraculous power of God, what? They acknowledged in that moment that God was there. He didn't have to tell people. He didn't have to take up an offering. As we live this supernatural life, it becomes attractive to people. That's how we're meant to live. That's how we're meant to live. You know, God has every answer to every question that you've ever asked. That he's got a plan for you, even though people tell you it's impossible. His power is there to heal any disease. It's there to fix any problem. There's no such thing in God as too far gone or too late. And I believe that as we look at the story with Peter, you know, uh, he's, he's such a central figure in the scriptures. Uh, and like I said, it's mostly because Peter messed up so much, you know, 
I mean, like, Peter has these, like, very brief moments of, like, amazingness. It's like when Jesus is going around and he's like, who do you say that I am? And some of them are saying, you know, you're Matthew and you're whatever, right? And then Peter, you know, comes out of it and he says, you're what? You're the son of the living God, right? Your God manifested himself. And Jesus is like, you know, blessed are you, Peter, because man has not revealed this to you. And then it's like you read three scriptures later and he rebukes Jesus and Jesus basically says, get behind me, Satan, right? I mean, he has these brief moments of being awesome, but for the majority of the time, it's like, Peter, listen, man, you should have just learned to shut your mouth, right? I mean, stop while you're ahead because, I mean, you look so awesome and then you got to go and blow it, right? But he's such a central figure in the Bible. Um, and even though, like I said, he does so many things where, you know, the end of the story, sometimes he kind of flubs it. But one of the things that I discovered is, is the man, it's undeniable that the man did amazing things, I mean, when I thought about it and I began to go through and read, you know, through, you know, just the Gospels, you know, I've done it a number of times, and I realized that almost every time that Jesus says something, Peter is always the one to respond to it and do something amazing. I mean, it's like Peter was the one who got the revelation about Jesus, and Peter was the guy who walked on the water. And, you know, we read further on is that Peter, you know, is at the gate called Beautiful when he tells the man to rise and walk. And Peter is the first guy to preach a message in the New Testament church. And I mean, like the guy does phenomenal things. You know, I mean, like Jesus, you know, even makes a statement that, you know, uh, on, you know, the revelation that Peter gets Jesus is going to build his church on the revelation that Peter gets. I mean, the guy is amazing. I mean, when Jesus rises from the dead, he makes a statement, go get my disciples and who? Peter. I mean, the only guy to get an honorable mention. Like, you know, the other guys, like, they're awesome and all. Go grab them, but make sure you find Peter because I need to talk to Peter. And as I began to think about this, I realized that, you know that Jesus never prayed a special prayer over Peter? He never specially anointed Peter, you know, for, you know, work under the ministry. I mean, Peter had a brother, Andrew. I mean, you don't hear about Andy at all, you know? You don't hear about Andy doing amazing things, right? No offense, Andy. I'm sure he did great stuff. But we realize this, that Peter was just an ordinary guy. He was a lot like me and you. I mean, for every awesome thing, we, we definitely make at least one flub, right? Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do. Sometimes we walk out on the, the stormy water of our situations And maybe most of the times you feel like you sink. But in the end of the day, what? Jesus called for Peter. You know, sometimes the enemy can make us feel so negative because we don't hit it right all the time. You know, like, you know, maybe you get like one amazing word for somebody and it totally blesses them. And then you're like, yes, and you're on this like amazing high. And you go and you give a word to the next person, they're like, that means nothing to me. Right? That happens to me sometimes. Like, I'll be real vulnerable. I'll be like, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. And they're like, no, it's, you missed it totally. And sometimes the enemy can use those things to make us feel horrible. One of the things I realized about Peter is that no, many, no matter how many times he messed up, he just kept going. He just kept going. I mean, it's like every single story where Jesus does something amazing, Peter is right there 
asking him to also let him do something amazing. And as I begin to think about this, um, you know, it, it just raised a lot of questions in me because I feel like really what God is doing on the inside of us is he's making us a lot like Peter. Is that in the midst of our mess ups, because, you know, sometimes what we can do is we can look at Jesus. And I mean, Jesus is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love Jesus and he's God and he was perfect. But sometimes if we look at Jesus so much and we see him in his perfection, it can actually make us feel bad about the fact that we aren't quite perfect yet. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know about you, yeah. but I'll be vulnerable and say that sometimes when I see Jesus, I mean, the dude was a hundred for a hundred, okay? And I mean, I'm like blessed if I'm like five for a hundred. And sometimes it could make me feel like I have so far to go. But then when I look at Peter, right? I mean, you know, I'm not comparing myself to Peter, but I feel like, you know, me and Peter could be buddies, right? Like, he wouldn't look better than me. I wouldn't look better than him. We could chum around. And Jesus used this guy to build the church that he died for. I mean, that is phenomenal to me. It's like Jesus, you know, you know Peter's crashed 15 cars, right? And then Jesus buys a Lamborghini and he's like, yeah, totally, Pete. Here's the keys, right? I mean, that's basically what he did. I mean, this was a game of high stakes poker and Jesus, you know, threw the cards to the guy who's lost the last 10 hands. But you see, it made me realize something. God's plan for our life really has very little to do with us. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we can get so consumed and caught up in all the areas that we've missed it. And as if somehow God is looking at those things to qualify us to use us. I, th I think Ben said it when he was here that God doesn't call the qualified. Or he doesn't choose the qualified. He, he qualifies. He's the one. He's not looking for us to be something or someone. He's not waiting for you to figure your stuff out in order to use you. He looks at us a lot like he looked at Peter. And all of his screw-ups and all of his mess, his only desire was to use him. And so, as I began to think about this, I realized that the story of Peter, this very brief story about Peter walking on the water, I think for a lot of us is like our faith journey. It's a, this really short story that kind of can take us through the process that a lot of, that, that we find ourselves in. You know, that from the very, in, you know, the moment of, you know, we're afraid to, to call out to God to the moment that, you know, we call out to, the, to God and the moment that we're starting to see some things happen and then the moment when, you know, that moment when, you know, the things that were happening good, all of a sudden they start going not so good, right? I think that in this story is contained the answer to a lot of the questions that we have about how do I break through to the place where my life looks even maybe a little bit more like Jesus' life. 
Because I'll tell you something, it's not that we want to stay in our screw-ups, right? We don't want to stay there. I want to grow, but I realize that my screw-ups aren't the things that are stopping me from being able to be used by God. And so as I'm reading the story about Peter getting out of the boat, I saw an amazing perspective. And I think to myself this, I think that Peter, that Jesus used Peter to do so many amazing things for one simple reason. Peter was willing to do them. He was willing to do them. Think about it like this. You know that when Jesus was walking on the water, he didn't like, Jesus wasn't like in the movie Inception, right? When he like inceptionized this thought into Peter's head to ask the question, call me out onto the water, right? I realize this, that any of those disciples or all of them could have said, oh yeah, me too. I want to walk on water, right? Oh, Peter, he's walking on water. Cool, man. Let me get out of the boat and walk on the, do you know that? Even when Peter started walking on the water, I don't know about you, okay? But like for me, if I'm like a little bit timid at first and Peter's like, Jesus, call me and I'm going to walk on the water. I'd be like, you, Peter, you fool, right? And then he starts walking on the water. Then I'm going to be like, oh, Jesus, call me too. Like, I want to do that. But what I realized was nobody else responded that way. And I think a lot of the times why we miss out on the adventure that God wants to take us on is that we forget to ask him to take us on that adventure. I mean, the scripture says it like this, ask and you shall receive. It doesn't just say you shall receive. I mean, I wish it did. But it says ask and you shall receive. You want God to take you on an adventure? Ask him. You want God to start fixing some of your problems? Ask him. Ask him. Because we realize in the story is that it seems to me that there's no crazy thing that you could ask Jesus. I mean, on the list of crazy things to ask, Peter asked, I would like to walk on the water. And what was Jesus' response? It was so simple. He said what? Come. God wants to be involved in everything that goes through your mind. You know those funny desires that you have? Like, I have a desire to fly. I'll just be honest. Superman is awesome. And so I would like to fly. And so I asked the Lord, Lord, if it's possible... Like, if somehow I could defy the laws of gravity, which I know that I can, if Peter walked on the water, I would like to fly. And I invite, it sounds funny. You're thinking like, oh my gosh, this kid, right? God wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. I mean, the funny thing to think about is that the scripture says that God is the one who gives us our desires. He puts the desires in you. And so as we look at, as we look at this story, I think that if we simply do what Peter did and we take his lead and we begin to step out, I think that God is going to begin to do amazing things in your life. And so the question that I asked as I'm reading this story is, what made Peter so special? I want to know that. I'm sure you want to know that. I'm sure that you would like to walk on the proverbial water in your life. You'd like to sail over every storm. You'd like to march through every obstacle and opposition right? Each of us want to do that. And so what makes him special? The first thing that I wrote, you can write these down, 
You should write these things down. The last two messages I've had, I've been giving you good points, and so I'm just saying, if you would like to grow, write down what I have to say. I mean, it's just, it's not the truth. I'm just joking. Number one, we have to learn to hear the voice of the Lord. We read the story, we look at the story of what's happening with the disciples. The disciples thought Jesus was a ghost, which tells me that they didn't, they couldn't see him. Because if they could have seen him, they wouldn't have thought that he was a ghost, okay? Like, if I'm walking in this room right now, which I am, you're not thinking, he's a ghost, right? No one's thinking that in here. Why? Because you can see me. So we know that the disciples could not see Jesus. But when he responded to them, he said, what? Be not afraid. Immediately they knew that's Jesus. They knew how to hear the voice of the Lord. The very first thing that I tell people in the, as they you know, embark on this life of Christianity is that, yes, read the scriptures because the scripture helps us to understand who God is. And yes, it's to pray. You know, those things are all amazing things that we need to do. But I tell people the most important thing that you can do as a Christian is learn how to hear the voice of your father. The only way that we will ever do amazing things is when we hear God ask us or invite us into amazing things. The first thing we have to do is learn how to hear the voice of the Lord, right? The New Testament is all about this place that we enter into where we don't have to go somewhere to hear from God, right? We're not like Moses where he had to go to the mountain in order to hear from God, or it's not like the Old Testament where only the prophets heard from God. No, we are what? The tabernacle of the, the Holy Spirit. He lives in us and wants to speak to each and every one of you all the time. There's no one else in the world who can tell you where God wants to take you except for God. It's one of the things that I tell people who I mentor all the time. You know, it's like they come to me and they're like, what should I do? right? Should I do this or should I do this? You know, should I do this or should I do this? And, you know, I feel like I know that you want me to tell you what the right thing is to do. But I'm not God. And I can't tell you what his will is for your life. My voice should simply be confirmation to you of what it is that you already know. Because God is not looking for us to stay babies. He's not looking for other people to have to lead us for the rest of our life. No, the scripture says what? That the earth groans and cries out for what? The sons and daughters. The mature sons. And how do we become mature? We learn how to hear the voice of the Lord. Jesus said to himself, I only do the things I see my father do and say the things I hear my father say. Jesus had the revelation that said, the only way that I will succeed in this life and accomplish everything that God has asked me to do is I must be so connected to the father that I respond to him and him alone. I mean, that's what John 15 tells us, right? That my place is to be what? Connected to the vine. I must be in God and let him be in me to the extent that, like what Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He's the one who's making the decision. He's the one that's telling me where to go. And so step number one, we must learn how to hear the voice of the Lord. 
Number two, you have to determine what it is that you want. Determine what do you want. Peter knew he wanted to walk on the water. We must know. Firstly, I have to know what I want. And secondly, I need to know what's mine. I have to know those things. Because I tell you something, the enemy, right, our past soul trauma, it doesn't want us to move past this limitation that we've put on ourselves. I mean, the enemy would love for the doctor's opinion of what's happening in your body to be the first place and final authority. The enemy would love that. That's why we must know, I need to know what's mine. I mean, I love that about the cross, right? I, I love this statement. I, I, th- I can't remember where I heard it from, but the cross always responds to us with the answer, yes. Jesus' answer to us is always yes. Every good thing that you desire, God's answer to us is yes. You want to be healthy? The cross answered yes. You want to be prosperous? The cross's answer is yes. You want to have great relationships? The cross's answer is yes. But unless we know that, I got to know. I'll never be able to stand on those things. The second part about knowing what you want is ask yourself this, how big am I willing to dream? How big am I willing to dream? Can you believe God to pay your rent? That's great. Dream bigger. Can you believe God to buy you a house? That's great. Dream bigger. How big are we willing to dream? God meets us at our expectation. He wants us to go way over here. You know, God wants to make us a spectacle for the whole world to see. That in every area, our lives, our lives are so amazing and they literally look perfect to everyone that everybody wants what we have. That's where God sees all of us. But we limit ourselves only when we fail to expect all that God has for us. It sounds like this. That could never happen. Wouldn't that be nice? How big are we willing to dream? Number three, we must get out of the boat. You have to choose to get out of the boat. Fight the natural desire to be comfortable. Fight the desire to be comfortable. Stop being afraid of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. I mean, that happens all the time, right? You know how when you walk into those rooms and you're like, you're in such a good mood and you're like walking into the room and there's that weird tension that's in the room and you're like, whoop, you gotta go, right? I mean, everybody knows how that feels. We don't naturally enjoy being in uncomfortable situations, right? When things are uncomfortable, right? For me, it's like, let me just go stand in the corner and pretend that like no one is here and nobody can see me. I just don't want to be a part of it. But let me tell you something. The reason Peter did amazing things is because he was willing to do things that looked and felt uncomfortable. 
I mean, it was safe to stay in the boat. Jesus was already walking to the boat. He didn't need to ask him to get out, but what? He was consumed by breaking out of comfortable limits. Let me tell you something. The world loves us being comfortable because comfortable people never want to change anything. That's why we're here. You're here because you have the power in you to change the world around you. You weren't here by accident. You're not here because of some, you know, cosmic fluke. No, God put you here in this area, Fort Erie, Buffalo, Niagara Falls, St. Catharines, wherever you come from. God put you there because in you is the power that is necessary in order to change the region that you're from. But what stops us is we'd never want to be uncomfortable. Everything we do, we fight for comfort. I mean, I want to pick the most comfortable chair. You know, I got like a really comfortable bed and then I have a memory foam topper, right? Because it's like, I just want to be comfortable. I love being comfortable, right? I got a memory foam pillow and a memory foam topper, right? I got a nice goon, goon, goose down comforter, right? And I'm just chilling. We love comfort, but what? God is calling us to the deep. He's calling us to do things that people have never done. He wants you to break the mold of your family. Maybe nobody in your family has done this. Maybe no one in your family has ever owned their own home. God is calling you to do that. Maybe there's cancer in your family line. God wants to break that. He wants to break us out of the limitations that the world loves to put on us. And the way we do that is we get uncomfortable and get out of the boat. Miracles happen when we're willing to step outside of the things that we can control. That's why I talk about the scariest scripture in the Bible, right? Unless you lose your life, you'll never find it. But when you lose your life for Christ's sake, you'll find it. Lose control. Stop thinking you have to control your life in order for it to be good. Number two, or number part B of this, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. How do you get out of the boat? Plan to win, not to fail. So often we can do that. Step out in something new and totally expect that by the end of the day today, it's going to have failed, right? You know, we, we say it like this. I'll try. We'll see. Maybe I can. Maybe I plan to win. You're a winner. You have the DNA of a winner. The God who created the universe, his DNA is in you. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead resides on the inside of you. You have all the power necessary to do whatever it is that you want to do the best that anyone has ever seen. Plan to win. Never plan to fail. Never. People are afraid to step out for this main reason. They're afraid to fail. Number four, two more. Number four, watch what you're looking at. Stop looking at your storms. Start looking at Jesus. Notice how Peter walked on the water successfully until what happened? He started to look at the waves. 
Was it God's will that Peter would have sunk so that he could reach down and rescue? That was not God's will. Sometimes people could say that to us, right? Oh, it's God's will that you're, it's God's will that you're sick because he's going to get, show me a scripture in the Bible that, it, that says that ever. It wasn't God's will that Peter would have sunk. No, what happened? Peter, initially he was what? Focused on Jesus. And then what? His, his attention shifted and he started to look at his problem. I tell you something, your problem is never going to give you the advice that you need in order to get out of your problem. Right? Like so often we can become so consumed by our problems, but we realize that, wait a minute, the problem does not have the answer to get out of the problem. Jesus, Jesus has the answer to get out of the situation that you're in. Stop looking at your storm, trying to get it to stop. Look at Jesus and you'll find that you'll walk where right through the storm. The scripture says what? He's the light unto our feet and the lamp to our path. He will lead us where we need to go. The other thing is you realize that the storm didn't get worse. The storm didn't get worse. It doesn't say that as Peter stepped out onto the water, the storm intensified and it sucked him to the depths. Didn't say that. Everything was the same. All that changed was the attention that he gives. Whatever you give your attention to is where you will go. And number five, I'm closing with this. Always assume things are going to work. Always assume things that you do are going to work. Always assume that everything you do is going to work. In every situation, always assume that what you do is going to work. Say that with me. Everything I do just works out. Say it like you mean it. Everything I do just works out. Say it again. Everything that I do, it just works out. Let me tell you something. This whole thing about, you know, the power of positive thinking, you know, we've turned it into like some like new age thing. That's the Bible. Right? What does the scripture say? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Right? The power of positive thinking, God created that. What you think about your world, what you think is going to happen in your world actually starts to happen. I mean, science even calls it self-fulfilled prophecy. People who think they're going to get sick, oh, it's crazy, they all get sick, right? People who worry about going poor, oh my gosh, it's crazy, they just seem to go poor all the time. But you ever know those people who just think that life is going to be good? You know, sometimes we think that they're so happy because everything in their life is going good. I tell you, that's not the truth. The reason their life is going so good is because they think that everything in their life is going to go good. I tell you something, if we just start thinking good things about our life, right? Like something happens and you just respond like, you know, amazing, right? Because I think about that sometimes. Like if I get a flat tire, right? Initially, my response used to be like, oh, whatever, stupid car, stupid tire, whatever, something like that, right? But now I think, you know, okay, Lord, what, what are you sparing me from? 
Why did you need me to pull to the side of the road right now? I always assume that things that happen to me are actually for my good. I don't assume. Why? Because I'm blessed. I'm a child of the most high. Things can't just get to me. Right? I've been redeemed from the curse. I'm not trying to fight away evil. Right? No, I'm blessed. Everything that I do is blessed. Every situation that I walk in is blessed. So therefore, even when something seems bad, what do I do? I'd like Paul, I count it all joy. Why? Because I know that this flat tire is way better than what the enemy initially intended to happen to me. And so I rejoice as I'm taking off my tire because I'm saying, God, thank you so much that you walk o- watch over me. Because everything that I do turns out for my good. Never, ever, ever be a doubter. This is resp- Jesus' response to Peter as he's thinking, Peter, why do you doubt? Doubt is the thing that in the middle of standing, it just as you're experiencing God, the enemy wants to introduce a thought of doubt. Because a moment of doubt will steal your promise. Doubt is our enemy. Never let yourself think a single thought of doubt. When you get, you know, you come to the altar and you get healed. And that thought comes into your head. You're not healed. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is my enemy. When things are starting to turn around in your marriage and you get into a little argument and the enemy says to you, see, it's going back. When you're just starting to get ahead of your bills and all of a sudden something happens and it's like, oh, there goes all of our saving. Oh, never let yourself doubt. Doubt is your enemy. The only reason the enemy is trying to introduce doubt is because he's starting to get afraid. He needs to knock you off the horse because you're actually starting to go somewhere. Peter starts walking on the water. I mean, what would happen if we realized that we could do all those things? Like, what if because of Peter walking on the water, that all of a sudden, everybody in the whole world started walking on water? And then people started to realize that, wait a minute, we're not bound by these natural limits. That I have control over my body, over the world, what would it, the enemy, excuse me, saw, he saw that moment and what introduced the doubt. Because he was afraid of where it would have taken you. The enemy wants you to doubt simply because if you believe that God is as good as he says he is, nothing, nothing will ever be able to stop you. Amen? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing time that we've had. Thank you for your word, Lord. I declare that it falls on good soil, that we're that marked for soil, the good soil that produces of itself 30, 60, and 100 fold. I declare that not a single one of these words will fall to the ground, but each of them produce life in our lives, that they free us, they deliver us, and they propel us into our destiny. In Jesus' name, amen.